Hey everyone, it's Yvette, your favorite Bruja from Lesser Known Coven. And I'm Brian, your favorite Bruja Yvette's co-host. And we don't, don't know, know shit, shit about, about comics. comics. It's literally in our name, like shit. Don't feel bad for not knowing anything about comics. Aw, we have the best guests. Yvette, please, you've had one too many White Claws. God, people are gonna think I'm a drunk. children and laugh at their parents and then we'll get on the <laughs> oh man i'm toasted come on let's go while i'm feeling it this is the i don't know shit about comics podcast yes so much yes learn with us every tuesday i get to get an update on how the glory hole is coming along what are we even talking about right now teach us hey why don't you stick around we'll talk about chemtrails dude i didn't sign up for this or just show up for the party i was approached to be a lenny kravitz stripper i see it i can totally see it this is out of control this is the I Don't Know Shit About Comics podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian and Yvette. Welcome to the I Don't Know Shit About Comics podcast, the podcast about comics hosted by two people who don't know shit about them. Our latest interview, which you'll notice when you listen to it after this, it does not include the lovely Yvette. And that is because Yvette was in Germany. So, Yvette, what were you doing in Germany? With these Germans. What were you supposed to be doing in Germany and what did you actually do in Germany? Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for welcoming me back. I was in Germany for work. So I went over there, had a good time working, taking care of business. But I did get to partake in the culture and people and the things there. So I saw a lot of stupid castles, like multiple castles. And mind you, this isn't my first time in Germany. So I had already kind of done all this stuff that there is to do that first time around. But I drank a lot at the different castles because I just couldn't deal with being the only female amongst a group of older gentlemen without the alcohol. So yeah, I drank a lot, saw a lot of castles, ate a lot of food, no schnitzel this time though, because I kind of already had it once and that was enough for me. And yeah, I had some fun, did some things, saw some things. So I've been to Germany once, but whenever I see pictures of Germany, it has all the European stuff like castles and all that. But everything looks far more gothic than the other European countries. Even the pictures I saw on your Instagram, it was these cool looking castles, but it was shrouded in black. Yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of the aesthetic, I think. Well, and I try to make it as like creepy and cool looking as possible because those are the memories that I wanted to have. But as far as traveling goes and architecture, it's probably one of the better places to go because there's so many things to see. So, Yvette, you got back from Germany and you were there for how long? A month? Two weeks, but the buildup to that was hectic, so. What was the first thing you did when you got back home? Literally got back home. So after like an 11-hour flight, I got home. There were two things I wanted to do. I wanted to go get tacos because they don't have those in Germany. Not good ones anyway. And I wanted to get sushi because they had sushi. But again, I wasn't going to trust it. So I went to go get sushi. Always smart to avoid sushi in landlocked areas. Germany's not landlocked, but if you're in the southern part, perhaps not a good idea. Also, I didn't drive when I was there, thank God, because I slept in the car most of the time. Because I was just out drunk. Well, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And if I'm not driving, you better believe I'm going to take a nap. 
So it was nice. Yeah. A vet's probably the worst road trip buddy to have. Cause you want someone that's going to stay up with you and kind of like chat and keep you company. I'm not the worst, but again, not to knock anybody, but if you're not playing music in the car and all you're doing is talking about work, I'm just going to sleep. I know the people she went with and I would probably drug myself just to pass out in that car ride. (laughs) I slept myself a Mickey. It's called called a forget me now. I'm rewatching Arrested Development. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So Mark and I, eh, when I say Mark and I, mostly me. We interviewed, I did my best trying to fill your hole. You always do. <laughs> you always so well. do. You always do. I did my best in your absence to be the best Bruja I possibly could. We interviewed Aaron and Kim from the Global Frequency, and they backed our last Kickstarter. And as a result, we invited them on our podcast. And we thought, okay, well, I guess we'll do this while Yvette's gone so that I'll do some talking. But it wasn't as fun. Brian, when he sexually harassed me, it's like kind of just kind of awkward and weird and kind of sad for everybody <laughs> to listen. Yeah, it really like raises more questions than the uncomfortable feeling when I hit on you a bit. Ah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's it's just kind of like, what is he doing? Are they together? What is happening <laughs> right now? <laughs> Funny side note, uh, Gabe from Digital Lizards of Doom, he reposted something I post, but he tried to write best friends. And he accidentally wrote boyfriends. And then he's like, he texted me. He's like, I'm leaving it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I like it. It's <laughs> rad. People are like, they're really taking this merger seriously. <laughs> Wait, there's a merger? It's more of a partnership. Okay. So it's not like a controlling relationship. It's sort of like each of you have an equal part in it. It's more like I was like, hey, get in this sketchy van and come with us. And he's like, fuck it. Why not? got candy yeah all right (laughs) all right so we had aaron and kim on from the global frequency and we meet a lot of people who are making their comic books and have a company and they have all these interesting ways of going about it but what they were doing almost seemed philanthropic they were like giving back as well as contributing to the community because what aaron was telling us is he had a lot of friends who have these jobs that they just hate you know selling used cars or working at a call center working at a call center you know these jobs where you want to put a gun in your mouth at the end of the day don't do that if you work at a call center we're just kidding but he realized that a lot of these people had great talent and just didn't know how to focus it and make it into something that they wanted to do for a living. Yeah, so what sounded really cool to me was what they're doing over at Global Frequency kind of sounds a lot like what I was trying to do here with Lester Known Comics. Because when we were looking at illustrators initially, Katie was telling me what it's like for illustrators of the industry. And they're like, yeah, they treat us like shit. And it's always like, what have you done for us lately? And as soon as you're no longer a value to them, they just cut you, you know, or whatever. So it's like, oh, I'm going to bust my ass to go work in an industry that doesn't really treat people like humans. And for us, it was people who were already in the industry. Whereas Aaron and Kim, they were looking at people who were outside the industry that are places that are really dehumanizing, you know, such as working at a used car place or working at a call center. They're not really treating you like humans and saying that, yeah, you know, if these people just had somebody looking out for them or somebody who's advocating for them, that they could do some amazing things. So I thought that was really admirable and they're making some awesome comics. 
And by the way, they aren't doing this, but if you were, you know, at the top of the pyramid of an industry that was known for dehumanizing their employees, I've never thought about this before, but you really should go to other industries where they're already being dehumanized so that it didn't seem so bad when you were doing it to them. They were already kind of used to it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to dehumanize people, you should get people that are used to being dehumanized. Oh yeah. 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 Or yeah. Or just slightly dehumanize them less. And then they don't know. Then they'll think they're treating them well. Yeah. It's yeah. like getting in a relationship with someone who's only been in toxic relationships. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Be like, Hey, well, I mean, at least I don't beat you. Right. I yeah. mean, physically, verbally hundred percent, but yeah. physically, no. <laughs> Yeah. At least you get to supersize it at McDonald's. You know, that's where we go for dinner only. I feel that dollar menu. Dollar menu. Yeah. (laughs) Dude, you know what used to be on the dollar menu? I think, but isn't anymore. And it's actually really expensive is the uh, the filet of fish. One of my favorites. It's like five dollars now for a sandwich. Not even the meal. I don't think I've ever had one. Oh, God. It's like a fish stick patty on a bun. Mm. All right, that's enough talking about it. Let's hear how you guys did without me. Do you wake up in the morning feeling exhausted? (sighs) Did you get a full eight hours of sleep and still feel like you would rather end it all than get out of bed? I'm in a glass case of emotion! End the suffering and make mornings your bitch with Brewhawk Coffee. Brewhawk coffee is completely unnatural, 100% non-organic, and contains zero caffeine. The secret ingredient in Brewhawk coffee is pure, uncut methamphetamine. Oh yeah. Don't be fooled by the health experts and their absurd warnings. Grab the morning by the balls with Brewhawk coffee. Independent studies have shown that those who consume Bruja coffee have experienced mild to serious side effects, although not likely, but probably very likely. Bruja coffee may cause death, may cause impotency, may cause both males and females to begin lactating. While taking this product, it was not common, but also not uncommon for consumers to experience a total loss of control in their day-to-day lives. Bruja coffee consumption may result in tussles with authority figures such as law enforcement or anyone who gets in your way. Addiction is more than likely. Please consume Bruja coffee responsibly or don't. We couldn't care less either way. All right, welcome to the I Don't Know Shit About Comics podcast, the podcast about comics hosted by two people who don't know shit about them. Yvette's out tonight. She's gallivanting in Germany doing God knows what. But we have Aaron and Kim with us from the Global Frequency. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Global Frequency? When did you guys start doing this? How did it start? Fill us in. When did we start? 2014, 2016. Originally, it was conceived of as a place where creators could own their material and assist each other in developing their stories and their art into um, illustrated narratives and then help each other launch those into the world. So kind of like a worker's co-op slash incubator. We've had a couple of projects that we've worked with 
one that isn't Mavericks and one that is Mavericks. <laughs> we wanted to show people that we could launch a property and IP successfully. So we put all of our focus into developing Mavericks as a story and as a property, as a commodity and getting it out into the world so that we have the roadmap moving forward of how to do that with other people. Right on. And what made you think to do this rather than just starting a comic book? You have developed this co-op. I have a lot of friends that work jobs they hate and they're really creative people. They always talk about, well, if I could just this or if I didn't have to do that, then I could pursue my dreams. And it's like, well, either you make room for your dreams in your life and you also live your life or eventually those dreams fester and turn to dust, right? I wanted to give them kind of a middle stage where, hey, you're having trouble developing those dreams, but we believe in them because they fit in with what we want to do. So why don't you let us help you a little bit? It can't be done without your involvement. But if you want this, then there are people who are willing to help you climb to get there. Really was because like the people around me were very unhappy. I know exactly what you're talking about. I work at Sirius XM and sports radio. And although it doesn't pay as well as I'd like, I never come home feeling like I had an awful day. The worst day working in sports radio is better than the best day working in some cubicle that makes you want to blow your brains out at the end of the day. <laughs> I got friends that work at call centers. Oh, yeah, that's 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 not and, fun at all. <laughs> and used car lots and things ah, yes. of that sort who really just don't like where they're at and would much rather be doing something creative. And they're so talented. I believe in them so much. They just need to be a little bit more disciplined in the application of their effort, cultivating that talent into making something. And that's where we wanted to come in. But we had to prove to everyone we could do it ourselves. And that's what we did with Mavericks. So for the people listening, he's saying we, Aaron and Kim, are a husband and wife. Tell me a little bit about that dynamic, working together and being married to each other. Are you going to be able to continue doing both? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're actually a really, really good team. We work really well together. Um, he excels at the things that I either don't really have a talent or interest in, and I'm able to handle the stuff that he could do, but he doesn't like doing. <laughs> it's a really great partnership. I kind of have the visionary part down. I, I have crazy ideas. Okay. That's yeah. just what it is. I have these crazy ideas and I go, wouldn't it be cool if dot, dot, dot. And then I kind of grab the dots and <laughs> make them into the thing <laughs> right? and brainstorm how to make that thing happen. And then it's stuff that I don't want to do. So she goes and does it. Yeah. <laughs> But then, nice, that sounds perfect. but then he takes the garbage out for me. So, you know, it works out. <laughs> oh, a gentleman. <laughs> we kind of have to keep doing it together because we share a brain. Yeah. And at this point, if either one of us tried to de-entangle, I think we'd become vegetative. Probably. On the same subject, do you guys have non-work hours? What is the work and life balance like? Hmm. That's a good question. Lately, it hasn't seemed like we have a balance? work, <laughs> not work balance because crowdfunding is ever present and you're always on the grind. You're either always on a show or you're hosting a show or you're working on the crowdfunder. She's on the phone with distributors, with the printers, with the vendors, getting the physical proofs made. She's talking to the artists, making sure they're on schedule to deliver stuff because we have a lot of people involved in the Mavericks campaign. Meanwhile, I'm working with 
artists doing thumbnails for the rest of the book. Uh, Garrett, the artist we have, is upstairs in his room. He's chugging away, finishing the pages that he needs to page. So we hit our deadline. And really, it seems like we're firing on all cylinders. So there really isn't that much of a balance. I'm sure when it comes to a head, we will take some time off to refocus and cultivate more balance and serenity. But right now it's all cylinders. Well, it sounds like you guys enjoy what you're doing. So maybe it doesn't always feel like work. Don't say it doesn't suck. Yeah. (laughs) So you mentioned the crowdfunding campaign. Tell us a little bit about that and about the story and the production process. Give us the deets. So Mavericks started off as a screenplay. I was in school studying screenwriting and I had this idea for a story and it was big and it was heady and it was timely and it was going to be told through this lens of science fiction that incorporated giant robots. And it was pretty good. I talked to a bunch of people at my school and they really believed in the project, thought it was great. The only thing we lacked was a billion dollar budget. So very heavy on the special effects. I mean, giant robots. You've seen Pacific Rim, right? I want to kick it up a notch. Then I got to talking to Garrett about it. And I was a little bit frustrated because the more that I talked to other people about the storyline, the more I started fleshing out the world, the more it became a little bit more complicated and multi-layered and multi-dimensional. It wasn't just a story about science fiction and artificial intelligence and future war and the underpinnings of what we as a society will be grappling with soon enough and our own social evolution. It became an actual story about a fictional world that is a approximation of our own set in the not too distant future. And all of these other cultural themes started pouring through more character development started happening. People became richer and more important in this tapestry of storytelling. And I realized I can't do this as one film, not if I want to do justice to the creation. If I wanted to do just a film, I would tell this one story that I have, but it wouldn't really feel like I was showing Mavericks off. So Garrett said, why don't we ditch the movie script idea? And why don't we do it as a series of graphic novels? Because you don't need a special effects budget. You just need me. And I said, that's a great idea. (laughs) So we started working on the story as a graphic novel. And I had to learn to adapt screenwriting to script writing for script writing for comic books. So I read some Scott McCloud. I got a bunch of scripts together and started reading them the same way that you learn screenwriting techniques from reading old scripts. The first Batman was one of the first (laughs) scripts that I read to learn how to write a screenplay for an action film. I started reading a lot of comic book scripts. I found my flow. I found the way that I like to work. And Garrett and I started cranking it out. And we put together about a 45 to 50 page uh, comic. And then we got an editor. And then the editor told us to redraw it. And we did. (laughs) We drew the entire thing. And we got 75% of the way through and realized that our colors aren't going to print very well on CMYK because we didn't factor in the K values. So we have to go back and recolor the entire thing that we did. And while we were doing that, Garrett was just getting so darn good at drawing, he wound up redrawing multiple pages because we were like, we could do better with this. Like, let's really like, this is not the best work we're putting out. We can do better. So 
we've redrawn this thing twice, recolored it twice. It's in its final incarnation now, and our editor seems pretty happy with what we've got. So I'm confident moving forward. That's everything about Mavericks. Well, hold on, hold on just for a second. Who is this Garrett character that you keep mentioning? Uh, Garrett is uh, a fiction of my imagination. (laughs) Garrett Gabby. He's the artist on the book. Without him, the book wouldn't have pictures, so it would cease to be a comic book. It would just be a bunch of words and not nearly as exciting. (laughs) Garrett doesn't do a lot of video or podcasting appearances anymore, especially right now because he's really buckling down to get the book over and done with. What made you guys decide to create a comic book in the first place? What is your background? What are your inspirations? Tell me about that. I'm going to speak for Garrett because I feel that he lives with me. So I know him well enough to be able to talk about it. He went to fine art school. He went to the Hartford School of Art and he is incredibly talented as a fine artist. His senior project was paintings on 14 foot canvases, enormous, large scale art. And he thoroughly enjoys sequentials but neither one of us really knew how to do a comic book. Remember when I was talking about how there are people that don't like what they're doing and would rather do something better with their life and all they need is the opportunity and they'll kick themselves in the ass and do the thing they want. Garrett was the first person that I found who I really believed would change his stars completely if he was given an opportunity to take on a project that could satisfy his creative impulse and bring him away from that life that he didn't really like. So we took him on full time and worked on this comic. I'd say his inspirations, he gets a lot of stuff from a lot of different comics. He reads all sorts of stuff and he watches lots of films. He likes Jodorowsky films, Aliens, Mobius, Dune. Dune is is fantastic. We talk in Dune metaphors all the time. (laughs) He loves Meta Barons, 2000 AD, Heavy Metal Magazine, Warhammer 40K, the art of James Stokoe, the art of Daniel Warren Johnson, the art of James Heron, manga. He loved Berserk. He enjoys anime. He's not as thoroughly weebish as one <laughs> might, might take it, knowing as influenced as he is by anime. And he likes sludge metal, that droning, sludgy rock metal. We both like <laughs> so I'm curious, what role do each of you play in the company? Who does what? Who decides who does what? How does that work? I handle most of the logistics and I do all of the bills. I figure out all the vendors, all of the payments, money, that aspect of it, taxes, all of that fun stuff. (laughs) Aaron is the visionary of the idea. And he also writes Mavericks and is working on a couple of other projects with some other artists. Garrett does all of the art for the book. And then he also helps out with the background graphics for the campaign. He made those assets and he was doing thumbnails for our YouTube channel for a while. And I do a lot of the coordinating. Once upon a time, we came up with business titles that we've since just stopped using because they're pretentious. But uh, Garrett was the art director, which meant all of the art used for the book, all the covers, the prints, all of the chibis that we used for the merchandising, all of the graphics for the tees, all of that flowed through Garrett. And it needed his stamp of approval before it went out the door. 
Kim was the project manager, which means any project we were doing, she had her fingers in that pie, making sure that it was getting scheduled on time. People were getting paid. We were getting what we were paying for, keeping track. I mean, she has spreadsheets and all sorts of stuff. And I like that. And, (laughs) And I was the creative director because I would have these dumb ideas and say, wouldn't it be cool if, and we would do it and it was really cool. So Kim, I have two questions for you. First, I'm curious, what are the day-to-day tasks of a project manager? And my second question, Kim, it seems like you're the voice of reason in this whole scenario. Yes. (laughs) So comics are notoriously underappreciated for how difficult they are to make. And as the voice of reason, what have you experienced while making a comic book? What are some of the things that you've had to say, yes, that's a good idea, or you found out that, no, that's not such a good idea? That's a really good question. So for my day-to-day, it varies. During the lead-up to the launch of the campaign, it was a lot of coordinating artists and making sure we had all of the assets that we needed for the website and campaign, campaign page. page and for the vendors and made sure that we knew what all of our expenses were, what all of our stretch goals were going to be, pricing all of those out, coordinating the acquiring of the physical proofs. Now that things have started to calm down a little bit because the campaign is actually launched. So like, for example, today I spent my morning working on our schedule for the rest of the month and into October because we also have a show that we do on our YouTube channel where we interview indie comics creators. So I was going through Kickstarter and Indiegogo and looking for what campaigns are active and how do I get their information and which ones do we like? So I start messaging them. And then I was emailing with vendors about our standees for our campaign Don't to get the challenge coins. The, yes. And the challenge coins, cause they were supposed to have been shipped out last week and they weren't. So I got on the phone with them and they shipped out today, which is good. And then we talked to Matt Norris. Yeah. And then I had a meeting with a graphic designer for another project that we're working on. So a lot of coordinating. I've got one more question for Kim, and I promise I'm not trying to stir the pot. What was the worst situation where Aaron came up to you and was like, I've got an idea? What what was the worst one that he's come to you with? The challenge coin was pretty good. The the challenge coin was a challenge. So um, I actually learned how to use Photoshop and design the challenge coin myself. Um, and I'm actually really, really proud of it because I didn't know how to do anything in Photoshop before we started working on this campaign. Oh, what was it? There was one thing that you had asked me about. I'm like, no, it's not possible. We Double-sided. can't do it. And then I did it. It's hard to narrow it down to one because all of it starts out sounding impossible yeah. prior to doing it. I want to do standees, um, but I don't want to do one standee. The standees were a little, yeah. entire battle sequence eight. of standees. I want to do seven or eight <laughs> standees. I want them to be two inches tall. Find them, price them out. They need to be double-sided and they need to be variable height. <laughs> yeah. You have to walk that line between not killing the dream and making right. sure that it's realistic. And right. if it's not possible, she'll come back to me and say, okay, yeah. these are the problems that we're having. She wanted like a decoder ring or something like that. I don't know. There were, you were talking about adding in a decoder ring. So maybe no, it's not a there, decoder there ring. I was joking about a decoder um, ring. No, because then you started talking about like those old school, like you used to get them in the, oh, the to toys the with the box of cereal where it had like a little cardboard thing with a little red panel and like you'd hold it up and it would decode whatever was on the back. That was one thing he wanted. Print. 
right? Where you could look through a lens, like you used to have the red and blue for the 3D, where you could look through the lens almost like a black light and see illuminated text that wasn't visible normally, but that's dumb. And it's an entirely separate inking process that yeah, we would that, need to do multi. And so that's that one I put the kibosh on. So that, was, that one I'm like, yeah. Challenge, challenge accepted. <laughs> Permission to steal that idea. Go ahead, man. It's a great. It's and great. then I'll send you the invoice with like, a, you know, with the tears. I'll just be like, I can't believe. All right, I, I'm going to sound a little lame right here, but I was a huge Lost fan. And when the DVD box set came out, I bought the collector's edition, 250 bucks, because it had all these extras. And it had a little black light that was the size of a chapstick. And it was like a black light, and you could and shine you could it go over all the, over yep. the different See? stuff, and it would bring up code. And See? I was like, <laughs> mind blown. <laughs> super cool that right cool. absolutely yes. worth it maybe mm-hmm. for like how much would it weigh yeah because then we no i mean i'm I'm asking you how much would it weigh because you have to factor shipping so this is yeah. the thing not only do i have the ideas i also see the ways that they could fail yeah except i have no desire to go out and determine whether or not that's true so kim takes on the difficult task of reality checking all of these things coming back and saying okay these are the problems that we have and then i invent ways to solve them or we both agree that this is impossible and dumb and we sometimes should change. I solve them on my own. Yeah, like, sometimes you do. This is the problem, but I already solved it. So I got the, the cool thing real quick about the challenge coin. And I loved this. Kim didn't know Photoshop. I said, we need to do a challenge coin. And the only way to do that is to go into Photoshop to do a proof. I guess you're learning Photoshop. And she did. And she came out of it now and she has this skill. She can use Photoshop. And it wouldn't have necessarily been something I think she'd have picked up on her own, but it was a requirement for something that we were doing. We're in a position now where if we need a skill and we don't have a skill, we have to cultivate that skill for ourselves in order to solve a problem. And I was so proud of her figuring out Photoshop because I've never wanted to learn Photoshop, but one of us needed to. And she totally bit the bullet and learned that thing. And she's really proud of what she can do with it. She does all the thumbnailing now. Like yeah. all of the thumbnails for our videos, it's all Kim. That's awesome. Some are better than others, but it's it's fun. I've always been that way. Maybe it's because I was the youngest and there was a big age gap between my siblings and I. So if there was something I wanted to do, I was left to my own devices. So I'm like, all right, well, I have to figure out how to do this myself. And I also taught kindergarten for 13 years. So a lot of that was trying to figure it out all on my own as far as like resources. Like I have this stuff and I need something else. So how can I make what I need or create it on my own for my students? So it's actually funny how a lot of my skills from teaching actually kind of carried over into this in ways that I didn't anticipate. I I find that that all the time. The surprising thing. I find that all the time. I watch my daughter, whether she's watching Daniel Tiger or something, I'm like, these are very useful skills in dealing with conflict for adults. Yep. 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 (laughs) Saying sorry is the first step. The next step is saying, how can I help? (laughs) Uh, So I got to ask a question because you brought up future war. There's something about the advertisement. And actually, I'll go ahead and show it here on the camera for everybody who's watching it on Instagram. It's enlist today. Join the adventure. Mm -hmm. Armored Corpse needs you. Yeah. It's a Uh, nod to the Starship Troopers ad. So I'm also seeing your hat. You also talked about challenge coins. Is there a military background somewhere over there? Not personally, no. I've never been in the military. I have never served in the military. 
Uh, I have friends who have. Um, okay. I have friends who are still in the military. I like this hat because it makes my head not look so weirdly <laughs> dumb. <laughs> it gives me a nice shape to the top of my head rather than a baseball cap which doesn't work on me it works on other people but i guess my forehead is too short it's like a i don't know um it just suits me and the challenge coins are awesome for people who like challenge coins you yeah know what i mean so there there is definitely a military element to the book there is a homage in a way to the people who've served in the armed forces i'm conscious of it mark yeah, is I think actually it's- in the army Nah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so I'm I'm getting out and started lesser known while finishing up that process. So we do have a couple veterans on the team. And the co-host is Yvette. So she's actually not here because she is doing her annual training exercise in Germany, pretending to fight the Russians or preparing to fight the Russians. There's a very thin line between preparing <laughs> and pretending. And then one of our business analysts, he was former army too. I've also found a lot of folks in the indie comic scene, and maybe that's just because being on a military base is intensely boring, and comic books would be a good way to bridge that gap. Actually going on a show later tonight with a veteran who's back from overseas, he used to disarm IEDs, and he said that comic books and sometimes DVDs were the only way he felt like he could stay in touch with the culture back at home. It was the only contact that he had with us back here. And for me, that resonates very deeply. So I want to tell good stories that can be inspirational and are cognizant that the people who are reading them are being inspired by them and are consuming them. And that is doing something to them. And I think that when we are more heightened and more aware of the message that our books carry and that we need to be delicate with those things, they make better books because the text and the context become so delicious that the subtext just kind of glides through underneath and unspokenly gets understood. Yeah, yeah. I think it's fun when the merchandise is not just hand wave merchandise. These are the things that everyone else has, but it immerses you more into the actual universe of the story. So I think it's a super smart choice of keeping those things kind of. We got a dog tags too. Yeah, <laughs> we I got think dog I saw tags. that. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. The dog tags let you make a pilot profile on the website for campaign one. And so every time we have a campaign release, we'll do these dog tags and you can re-enlist if you want. (laughs) And you get a custom profile and you get to design your map and we give you your color scheme and you pick your call sign. And, you know, we kind of put you into the world that way because it means means something to us that you're along for the ride. Yeah, Yeah, totally. So I've got a question. What have you both found is the most rewarding thing about making comics? a lot to it you can go i sorry how infectious the enthusiasm can be so when you're talking about writing a book and you're really excited about it and you talk to someone else about it and they get excited about the book not just that you're making the book but that's a really cool idea and i want to hear more about it let me in you know let me into that sharing that opportunity with other people to be like, yeah, you, you want in? Let's let's do this thing. That has been the most rewarding, where my creation, um, the thing that I want to give to the world, has been so well-received by people who want to grab the football and run with it. They want to be like, hey, can all right, do you need a soundtrack? Let's, let's write a soundtrack for the book. Hey, I want to do a motion comic for you. Hey, I'm a voice actor. If you're doing a motion comic, can I lend my skills? 
like we've got 30 different graphic artists, 30 different illustrators on this campaign oh, wow. between like the, the prints print. and the alternate cover art and the people who are doing the illustration in the Ashcan anthology. We've got like 30 other people and they are just so down to be working on Mavericks. And for me, that's been great because it's wonderful to see your stuff well-received, but it's also wonderful to see people be excited about receiving it. It's not yeah. just a job. So I'm curious, there's a two-part question. What are some positive and negative experiences you guys have had as online creators? And from what we were just talking about, what is it like interacting and working with other creators? This one is all you. (laughs) I've actually really enjoyed getting to meet with and talk to other people online. The three of us here, which is great that we have each other, but we're each working on different parts of it, like I'm doing the merch and the coordinating of stuff and he's writing and Garrett's doing the art. So being able to talk with other people, like our friends, Sai and Shay, who have a YouTube channel and they host different indie creators. And they also talk a lot about different campaigns and she's really good at doing merch. So like I got to sit with her, we like threw up a stream yard and we just video chatted for a while and talked about the merch and, and design and what works and what doesn't work. And it was just really great to be able to talk with people like Aaron's talked with other writers and artists and being able to not only collaborate but also share in that understanding because like I'll tell my friends and family all about what we're doing they're like that's great I'm super proud of you but like they don't understand what it's like to go on like four podcasts in a day or you know to edit a video or you know to to write up questions for an interview or schedule things or write a comic and Check edit a comic. And, right. You know, they're excited and they're proud of us, but they don't get it necessarily. So that's been super awesome to be able to work with and just even talk to people who are like, oh, I get it. And also get ideas from them when you're stuck on something, whereas may not be able to have that with other family and friends, like I said, who are super supportive, but it's not. Also shared information. Yeah. People have tread this path before. So when we're trying to do something and we're thinking about reinventing the wheel, it's great to be able to check this community and be like, hey, so has anyone ever done this thing before? Or who have people used for printing? What merch vendors have you had if you're doing patches or stickers? And everyone's got something to contribute. It's like kind of like making stone soup, yeah, you know? Exactly. <laughs> totally. I think it's really cool that creating a comic is kind of, I mean, I'm not sure which one came first, the chicken or the egg, but the fact that you guys started a company so that other people could fulfill their dreams is awesome. And I'm curious, is there anyone that you guys want to shout out that's working with you or your company that you think is doing awesome stuff and people should check out? As far as people that we're working with, Joe Catapano is the artist that's doing my piece in the Ashcan anthology and his studio, Vera Via Studios, is, I think he just made it officially. He put out Star Circuit earlier this year and that book was dope. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's cyberpunk future, pseudo dystopian, very much like what you would expect from a cyberpunk noir setting. And it's about a dude who's a street racer going up against android street racers on like light cycles. And the atmosphere of it is very, very cool. And he's such a great illustrator. I mean, there's so many people though in the group of creators that we've collected around us. There's like five, six comics from Ciudad Juarez 
They've got a bunch of people on on their team that are making really cool monster books. There's Jose Garcia from Gifted Rebels. He did Lumina Fox. There's John Hervey and Rob Looper, Jason Orfalis. I mean, I could I just keep going on. There's a guy who just put out his first book this year named Jake Adams. And the book is gorgeous. It's oh, yeah. called Cobalt. And originally it was a story, like a little short that he put out in a comic book for limb different youth. Uh, so his superhero has a bionic arm, like a cybernetic bionic arm. Like Army and of Darkness. Was, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and Jake also has a prosthetic and he's a ambassador for his prosthetic. You know, So the idea that, that he took that element of his struggle and what he went through in his life, put that into his book, just made it accessible for other people. It's not like this is a story about a handicapped superhero. That's not the idea. The idea is this is a badass dude and he has a bionic hand, um, which is cool. <laughs> like there, there are creators out there who are taking challenges that they've faced, making awesome things, like taking a new twist on old themes. There's creators out there who are organizing anthologies like the crew over at Indie Vault. There's Varian and Randy Zim. Randy Zimmerman did Arrow Comics. They just put together like this crazy anthology of all of these people. We know a couple of the brand new creators have never been published before who were put into this anthology, finally got to put a piece out. And they weren't really looking to make money off of it. They want to just publish this work so that people had their names out there in circulation. There's just so many people. I could rattle names off of the list, you know? <laughs> totally. We had a guest on not too long ago who was creating comic books for the LGBTQ community. And comic books, it seems like they've always been a place for voices that are less heard or stories that aren't told as often. Do you find that to be true? I find that there is definitely a need to tell more stories with better voices. I find that there are a lot of creators right now who've taken advantage of the opportunity that they have to tell their own stories with their comic books. And we're not necessarily talking just like marginalized creators. We're talking about creators who are telling stories with this idea of marginalization in mind and moving beyond this idea that there are people who are not heard and have not been heard and should not be heard, um, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. It's a weird mix of voices right now in comics. Some people feel it's really important to point at the fact that there weren't always creators who were allowed, I guess, to take center stage. That's a really weird way to phrase it, right? Um but there are also other people who are just cool to include and be included. I think stories are a really great way to create empathy mm -hmm. uh, in people. And I think having an array of stories told from different points of view about different people and ideas is a really great way to forge connections between people, lifestyles, ideas, and things that you may not be exposed to based upon where you are, how you grew up, where you went to school, etc. So I think that they're a really powerful tool that can be used to create connections and empathy. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be literal. That's yeah. one of the problems that I think we're facing right now in comic books is things that should be subtextual become far too literal. The subtext is far too often the text itself. You look at like Jason Orfalas put out a book or he's putting out a book called Octopus Cowboy. Okay, it's about an octopus who is a cowboy. It is a literal, 
fish out of water scenario where he like has to become a uh he like gets thrown in a fighting ring and he escapes and he goes on this journey and he learns more about the world of humans and so it's jason telling a story that he resonates with but the character is an octopus (laughs) not necessarily a marginalized voice it's literally an octopus although i've been saying that octopi have been marginalized for years cephalopods are going to inherit the earth my friend Ooh, cephalopods i gotta add that into my vocabulary that's a good they're dangerous (laughs) they're they're smarter than we are well not only that but if you watch like the discovery channel or whatever on like a special on octopuses they are otherworldly to say the least there is nothing about them that is related to our version of biological life change the texture of their skin yeah, they can change their crazy. coloration they can solve riddles there are all sorts of you know crazy awesome stories about octopi and they're also kind of terrifying yeah perfect subject for a comic book mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're just about out of time where can people find you if there's a creator out there who hates his job and wants to start following his dream where would someone go to find you guys in that respect you can email us at contact at theglobalfrequency.org. That's the best way to get in contact with us. You can also hit us up on Twitter at theglobalfreak. That's F-R-E-Q. I'm pretty sure we have an Instagram, right? Yep. Instagram is theglobalfrequency, and we're also theglobalfrequency on Facebook. And is that where people can find Mavericks if they want to check it out? Mavericks is currently in crowdfunding over on Kickstarter, and they can find some information about it on our website, which is theglobalfrequency.org. Not nearly as much as you would in like the campaign itself. We also have a link tree. So if you put in Global Frequency Studios on Linktree, it has links to all of those things. Our Kickstarter, our YouTube, our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everything. Right on. All right. It sounds like you guys did all right, but also sounded like you guys were held up by some quality guests. So, yeah, that's that's definitely true. Aaron and Kim were fantastic. We loved hearing about their company, how they're helping others. It was just a really good time. And I got to talk. It was fun. (laughs) I talk good sometimes. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. And I feel like we should have had to to back their Kickstarter to have them on our podcast because, you know, they, they really did hold up the show while all of that was gone. We did back the Kickstarter. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> Yvette, it's great to have you back. And Mark, it's great that you're not going to be here next time. And um, thank you so much to everyone who listened. We hope you had just as much fun as we did. And we still don't know shit about comics. We'll catch you next time. 